This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. I am Joseph Darnell. This is episode number three. And I'm Joshua Pfeiffer, your co-host. Hey, Joshua. <laughs> Welcome back to our show. It's been a it's been a rough afternoon. I was just telling you before we got on, I've had several emergencies here right before we started recording. Podcast-related emergencies. Well, it, yeah, well, it, it included a an odd sticky substance on my trackpad, uh, had everything set up, ready to go. And then I came in and my, there was just this weird, grimy, invisible film, uh, and, and and an odd, an odd calendar event. Uh, I'm thinking it was one of my children. Mm. You shared the computer, all the, all the peripherals with the children. Well, not this one. (laughs) It shouldn't be this one. They shouldn't be in my office. Oh, Uh, so yeah. Yeah. My my kids are uh, stay clear of my MacBook. They're they're welcome to the iMac with permission. Yeah. We've, I've I've got an old, I've got an old MacBook that they use hooked to an external display, but uh, they should be staying away from my, my new MacBook air. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. I I had to also tell the kids to stay away from the iPhone a few weeks ago. (laughs) Um, So yeah, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. This is Stephen Hackett. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for uh, thanks for having me tonight. It is our pleasure. I've known you on the internet for a little while, been reading your website, following your podcasts here and there and yonder. Uh, here you're going to be coming down to our neck of the woods here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, so the, the Atlanta Pin Show, uh, as we record this, is just really just a couple of days away. So coming down with uh, some of the Relay FM crew and doing a, a video and a live podcast for the Pin Addict show. So it'll be a, a lot of fun. I... I I don't make it down to Atlanta much, usually just for work. So it'll be nice this time to have you know, time to go go out to eat and do some other things while we're not filming. So I don't make it up to Tennessee all that much either. What part of Tennessee are you from? So I'm I'm in Memphis. Basically, Arkansas is about ten minutes away, and Mississippi is about five minutes away. So we're right there in the corner. Yep. Um, been here my whole life. I live fifteen minutes from where I grew up, and never never left. Never really wanted to. So. Good for you. It makes life a lot simpler. There are more important decisions to make than where one lives. I grew up just down the road from here as well. So we didn't want to talk about, you know, the United States. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about dog cows and MacBooks and photo apps and things like that this week. Because, Stephen, uh, according to your Internet's ramblings and interesting discussions online, you're something of a Mac enthusiast and you take it uh, very seriously and also very casually at the same time, which I, I, I can respect. Can you describe for us what your interest in Macintosh computers are today? So for me, you know, uh, my day job, side stuff is all tied, all revolving around around a computer. And the way I look at it, if, I, if I've got to spend so much time with with anything in my life, I want it to be the best, right? So I don't, for instance, carry the cheapest backpack that I could find. I don't have the cheapest headphones or the the most affordable glasses. I definitely don't go for the bottom end when it comes to computing devices. I was introduced to the Mac back in high school, uh, doing design and publishing work, and from there, my my love for it just exploded. And it for me, it's it's a tool, right? It's it's all technology really is. At the end of the day, it's a fancy screwdriver, but I think it should be the best screwdriver to get the job done, not only the most efficient way possible, but in a way that doesn't make you want to pull your hair out. And for me, that's the Mac. So it's been a, it's been a stable for me for a long time. I can totally relate with that. I mean, I have to, I'm forced to uh, work on various stages of legacy uh, windows platforms at work. So, so uh, getting on the iPhone during lunch is uh, a little bit of, a little bit of sanity. 
<laughs> Your story very much describes ours as well. I've been enjoying Apple computers as long as possible, even in the dark days. And uh, the, 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 sort of like Jason Snell, I, there was much to appreciate about Apple computers back in the 90s. Not as much as there is now, of course. You know, what everybody says about apps, it was true. We didn't have very much wiggle room or options uh, for the Macintosh computers then. But they sure have come a long way. One of the things I think is uh, fun to discuss on this episode is 30, is it 31 years of Mac computers that we have now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, including 84. It would be 31 years. I know a lot of people were reading the Steve Jobs book, Becoming Steve Jobs. It came out a couple of weeks ago. And some people find that any sort of biography about Jobs is going to be just as much a biography about Apple. And I'm about halfway through that biography. And so far, I'm liking it. I find sometimes that uh, areas of the story are summarized. I wish were expanded. But what can you do? You're just getting uh, one or two people's perspective on things, and they're trying to pick and choose what they think would matter most. One of the stories I would love to hear would be the relationship that Adobe and Apple have together because they they got started together back in the 90s on Adobe. Wasn't Apple largely or behind the scenes involved with the development of Photoshop, if I remember hearing right? Right. And Apple needed PostScript for the first Mac. And then Apple moved into printers. They had image writers and laser writer printers. And so PostScript especially was a huge thing. And, and Apple actually invested in Adobe. You know, the company that had drifted apart, you know, very famously with the Steve Jobs Flash open letter. But now Kevin Lynch, who was the head of product or something at Adobe, who was kind of the Flash guy, is now working at Apple and actually led the Apple Watch software team. Even today, those companies are definitely intertwined. I agree. That would be a fascinating story to, to hear more of at some point. I'm taking it full circle. You said that you had some things to do with desktop publishing. Did you ever further that as a side interest or anything like that? You're right now working with a web development company, correct? Uh, correct. So met the Mac in high school. I worked in my high school uh, newspaper staff, which was um, very... Uh, not good for my high school love life, but um, <laughs> so started out as the as sort of layout and production guy, and never really made it past that. Ended up being editor my my senior year, or co-editor along with a good friend of mine who now works at Amazon. It was very much interested in the this idea that I can I can see in this case a newspaper page in my head, and I need to make it. And the fact that I could have those tools on a computer to create something just really just, just really hooked into me deep, and I did. Same thing in college, worked at the college paper for four years, you know, four nights a week for four years. Uh, now I'm a step away from production work, but, and, and have added other things like audio to it since then. But just the idea that you can have an idea of a creative work and this computer, you know, through a, a mouse and keyboard and all these other things, you can create that. And at least with print, thousands of people can hold it in their hands or with the web, thousands of people can read it is just really crazy to me that the barrier to entry for creation is now so low because of, of the computer. I think that's really great. I think it's addicting to, to personalities like mine. Nice. I have a similar story in that regard. And that's one of the reasons why I spent so much time in Photoshop back in the nineties, just for kicks, because it was, it was a fun app to use even rough around the edges. And I just haven't stopped using Photoshop for more than a couple of weeks since. Mm hmm. I, I, you know, I, I really appreciate where Apple has taken Macintosh computers, uh, iMac computers all along. 
Um, I think it was uh, pretty cool when they they were getting a lot of press for the power books back in the what was it the late nineties or so. Mm-hmm. And my older brother he always had one of those power books and he was always showing it off around me and I never had one and I was so jealous. But then you know my day came and I, I got an iBook and that was my first portable Mac and I, I loved that thing. Joshua, did you have Macs back in the day or you you only got started a few years ago, right? My first modern Mac was a, around a 2006 MacBook, the very first MacBook after they switched to Intel. Ooh. But I did have a um, Apple IIc or something like that. I had the old five and a quarter inch floppy, and uh, I, I did have a, a hand me down. Uh, I think it was a it was one of those older all in one Macs that had a really small screen. Hmm. But I, I had that just for a little bit in the mid 90s. Now, what were you using those for? The old school Apple II was basically games. You know, I was huh. young, 10, 12, lots of fun games, staying inside all, all summer. And <laughs> my thing was uh, Mario teaches typing and super munchers. <laughs> yes. Super munchers. Oh, you just brought me back in a big way. Yes. Oh man. I, I spent like so many hours because you could look very quickly at all the tiles in super munchers uh, in the odds and ends category and using the mouse, you know, you just click on every one, create a pattern around all of the monsters and you knew because the speed of the computer was slower than you could click, you could kind of time it just right. So you could get ahead of the speed of your Mac and you'd have it all solved in like uh, two seconds and watch as the super muncher would fly around and take care of all the tiles for you. It was not the kind of experience you have with technology gaming anymore <laughs> because they don't run that slow. <laughs> I've dabbled a little bit with what is it called a game center, but I've never been happy. Uh, take me back to the super munchers. If maybe they had that game on Facebook, I might play it, but they do not. And that is their loss, not mine. So anyways, uh, Steven, one of the reasons that you use a Mac heavily these days is for all of this podcasting I hear that you're doing. What, what's up with that? Why, why did you take a personal interest in podcasting? Was it just an, an outwork of your writing for the internet for 512 pixels? What was it for you? What drew you to it? It definitely started as an extension of my of my writing. So the the site will be seven years old uh, this fall, which is just uh, crazy pants. And a couple <laughs> years into it, um, I got invited on to a, you know, a couple podcasts, and uh, eventually ended up on a podcast with uh, Mike Hurley, a name that a lot of people will know as the the British guy and your podcast player. It, Mike and I really hit it off and quickly became friends. We did several shows together. We had a show on 5 by 5 together until about a year ago, and last summer, Mike and I co-founded the Relay FM podcast network. So for me, podcasting is a first draft. If you listen to Connected, my show, and you read my site, you will notice that they play off each other, where we'll talk about something on Connected, then I'll write about it a couple of days later, because mm. the podcast is like my first draft. And Jason Snell has said this as well in Upgrade, that I can bounce the ideas off my co-host, I can talk about them. I can explore them, take them apart. And then when I sit down to write, I'm really prepared. Hmm. Of course, now ReliefM is a, is a growing business, right? Mike is full-time in the business. I'm not that far from it. And we're a successful small business. And so it's, it's, it's now morphed into, I still get to play in my connected time of you know being the host, being the writer. But a lot of times, most of my time now with podcasting is behind the scenes, technical business administration stuff. And I really love both sides of it because creative work takes people who aren't creative, right? Like you need the creatives who are doing the art, doing the music, doing the show. And then you need people behind the scenes to, to give those people the tools that they need at the right time and to make sure they're taken care of. And 
And for me, I get to be, I get to play both. And that's a lot of fun because I have, I have traits of both and just how I'm made up. So it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of bounce between those two hats and, and wear them both and, and take care of them both. Now, what do you see being the future for your website, 512 Pixels? Do you want to write more full-time if you get the opportunity in the future? Or what are you going to do? I, absolutely. I, I would like to write more. Uh, when we started Relay, you know, Mike and I had a serious conversation. We both had day jobs at the time. I can only put so much time in a week to this thing, right? I've got a day job. I've got, you know, we've got three kids. Yeah. I, I sort of have a set number of hours that, air quote, side stuff can fit into. And a decision that I made with Mike and with my wife. The two most important people in your life. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah, your, your your spouse first and, you know. And then your other spouse second. <laughs> your, yeah, then, then your, your pod, business spouse. Podcast co-host. And so for me, it was, okay, 512 is going to take a little bit of a back burner while we get Relay up and going. And it's starting to come back now. I'm writing more than, than I was maybe six months ago. But absolutely, I see the future. Uh, 512 will always be there. Uh, whatever happens with podcasting, whatever happens with anything else, I think 512 will always be there for me because it's just my my outlet. You know, Yes, Connected has taken some of that away from it, but 512 is day-to-day where I'm expressing thoughts on things. I only hope for that to grow in the future. I really enjoyed all of your writing over the years. I don't know when I discovered it exactly. It was probably through some link of Sean Blanc's or John Gruber's. At the time, I was just starting to notice a pattern that the emphasis was on content and less so on design, presence of images, and the link baiting tactic that we see that is so prevalent and taken the internet. It, basically, we have a bunch of website zombies out there nowadays. It feels like the internet is just littered with really shallow-minded content. It kind of hurt me indirectly through some of my previous work. I, I wasn't too excited to work with some other companies that were kind of falling into that trap. And I was kind of hoping that they would overcome it and they would return to thoughtful content pieces and that I'd be able to play a part with those. And it, it didn't really work out when that was my career path. And so I'm glad I was able to get uh, weed my sa- myself out of that problem back to some fresh air. And y'all guys actually helped me out a lot because y'all have this incredible community. And this is one of the things that only is possible by way of the technology I don't think we would have depended on Apple for this kind of community. We would have found ourselves on the internet drawn to the same topics, having explored them in another way if we didn't have Macintoshes around to do them on. But it it has been great to uh, read your content. And something that you emphasize is your interest in old Macintosh wares. Do you think that you are going to expand on that topic in the future, say 10, 15 years from now? Will you be writing about the computers of today when they become antiques? Yeah, I, I think so. First of all, thank you for the extremely flattering words. It's very, uh, very kind. That's what this episode is all about. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I, I think so. I mean, I think I've even started, uh, even the last couple of years, talking about sort of the PowerPC to Intel transition. Some of those machines around that time, some of the G4s, G5s, I've covered more uh, in, in the recent years. So I think that, I think that will continue. I think it'll obviously be different because I only came to the Mac in 2001. So, you know, if I, if I write a piece about the Apple II, where like I was a toddler when the Apple II was, uh, it, it came up before I was, you know, actually before I was born, I was born after the Macintosh, but, um, you know, these machines that I were interested in and collect and write about, I, I, I don't have firsthand experience, right? So for me, those pieces are, I'm exploring what the machine was about. Maybe I'll pick one up. And it's sort of a 
a report of what the computer was. I think what will be different now is say that I talk about the 13-inch MacBook Pro with the Retina display. Well, I'm talking to you on one right now. I own one. It's right here. I think that might be a different thing. What that looks like, I don't know yet, but... I think that rolling window of time will only grow as the site gets older. Mm. Yeah, it's a super, uh, I guess I should say super nerdy thing to really be interested in because I am too. I, I, I'll always get on Wikipedia and different sites to, you know, how thick was that first iPad or yeah. you know, how, what, what was the RAM on that? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I guess it's a, definitely a niche field, but it, but I find it pretty interesting. Uh, you could open up your own blog called 513 Pixels. Well, the, well it, it would be inaccurate because the name is... Based on the width of the compact Mac. Anyways. Come on, Joe. Get with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come on. So the those stories don't do great traffic, right? Like I, I spend a ton of time on them and sometimes they get picked up, sometimes they don't. And a lot of people, I think, read 512 because of that stuff. And that's great. That's not a growth factor in the site. I, I will continue to do it because I enjoy it. I'm actually sl- very slowly. I said this on the podcast like a year ago. I am still working on like documenting the collection of machines I have to put them all up on the site. I've got about a third of them photographed now. You know, it is, like to your point, it's super nerdy, right? It's super niche interest. But what gets me turned on about it is that it's we get to see and hold the evolution of technology, right? You think about software versus hardware even. And I, I do like old software too. I don't write about it as much. But it's sort of like, yeah, like System 7, OS 8, OS 9, like more or less the same thing. Right. Send Mike the email. <laughs> but if you look at the... The hardware that, that that those OSs span from, I don't know, the System 7 was uh, 93 or so, maybe. That sounds about right. Um, whenever System 7 was to OS 9 in, in 2000, huge hardware gains, right? Moore's Law is amazing. And so, for me at least, it's, it's a fun way to see how this stuff evolves. And, you know, you mentioned the, the original iPad. I have an original iPad. I, I bought it for a show, a connected episode that we did, and I sort of surprised the guys with it. <laughs> That versus an iPad Air 2, and I photographed them together, and it's like, how in the world have they done this in right. you know just four four or five years? It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I think the hugest hugest the jump was from you know just from the first to the second. It's like they took half the iPad away, and they just have kept taking forty percent a year. It seems like away from the thickness. It it really is cool, and and I. That's kind of what I like about the watch. That's why I'm, I'm probably going to hold off for the first one because I just I, I see you know in, in three years it's going to be. I guess the watch reminds me of that first iPad. Mm. You know, it's very neat, but uh, I think it's going to get a lot nicer. Yeah, it should date itself pretty quickly, and I'm not afraid of that. I mean, I am getting the first generation watch like I got the first generation iPad because I wanted to use the heck out of it as quickly as possible. For my sake, when getting the iPad, it was a choice between a Kindle or the iPad. And I knew all along I'd rather be a part of the iPad ecosystem and uh, get on the bandwagon with what the apps were doing from the get-go there rather than invest into anything on the Kindle platform. Right. You know, I I said that too, uh, and or I I had – the philosophy I just shared, I, I had when the iPad came out, and then like four months later, I ended up getting the first gen. Oh, yeah. So I'll, I, prob- oh. I probably will end up with a watch. I don't know. Yeah, to each his own. I mean, there's no wrong choices as long as you just make good use of the thing. Going back to what you said earlier, Stephen, this is one of the themes of the show is that technology is just a tool and what we make of it. And it's going to be different for everybody. And this kind of brings up something that I think is a introspective sort of question we could ask ourselves these days. Right now, we're looking at a MacBook. A lot of us, like all three of us here, have some kind of desktop computer in our lives. 
We share some of our devices with our families, some we don't. Then we have the pocket computer. We have an iPad folding around here somewhere. Then we have our wives' computers, their iPads, and their smartphones. And then on top of that, we're adding a watch. So I'm curious, like personally, I know how to rein it in check. But is there a cutoff point where we have to ask ourselves less, you know, less is more? Do I need to focus on just, you know, making the best use of my technology in a couple of key areas like my MacBook and cut it off there? Is it too much to have an uh, an Amazon Fire Stick, a Roku, and an Apple TV? <laughs> um, these are the kinds of questions I ask myself. And I, I think some people are kind of, even us nerds, they're kind of getting worn out on all the mini devices and having all the things that do all the same things. What do y'all guys think? I'm kind of at that point. I mean, I've got, my wife still has a 4S, iPhone 4S. Uh, thankfully, she doesn't notice and doesn't care. Uh, and I'm still on the iPhone five, you know, and I could, I could upgrade right now, but I'm telling you it, the thing just is fast. It does everything I need. And I figure I'll just wait for the the six S plus and, and really, really be blown away. I was going like every two years kind of, kind of deal, you know, upgrading, but it's just, it's just a great phone. Hmm. I've kind of let the, I guess the iPad cycle fall behind as well, upgrading because they're just great devices. They don't really need to be upgraded. They just work so well. Hmm. So just for the budget's sake, I'm I'm kind of content for the time being. I'm still using my 19, sorry, my 2009 iMac, and I'm very happy with it. And that's what we primarily use for all of our photo management and iTunes music management and movies and the like. That's where it all gets distributed to home sharing you know, libraries and the Apple TV it's a little bit pushing it for the old storage. What is it? A you know, a spinning disk hard drive in there. I'm probably oh, going yeah. to upgrade that to an SSD here pretty soon. I, I never want to boot from a spinning disk again. I just refuse. It's a uh, life's too short. <laughs> it's to, it's not torture. To I mean, it's... except for the exception of your thirty some odd uh, antique computers, you'll boot. Up yeah, I'm not hard. doing. I'm not doing work on those. That's totally <laughs> different. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting question and one that I think about. Not so much in the context of like myself, but maybe like my family or, you know, like my kids looking at them. And for, for me, it's, it's not necessarily so much about the number of devices and, and, but it's about the, the time I spend with them. And so I look at something like the, the MacBook Pro or the iPad, where except for podcasting and some work stuff, I could do a lot of things that I do on both, right? I can write articles on both. I can do read, you know, read for articles. I can obviously do social stuff. A lot of that low tier usage, the iPad can do. And, and all of the thing the iPad can do, the phone can do, especially on a six plus, like not even all that different anymore. And so for me, it's about, you know, am I spending too much time with these things and what's the best device for what I'm doing? So uh, for instance, I can, so I do all the bookkeeping for Relay. I can do all the bookkeeping for Relay on an iPad. I've done it. It's slow. It's tedious. I'm bouncing between apps and websites and a Google Sheet and all this stuff. And while my MacBook Pro, I can just open those all, all those as tabs in my browser and I'm much more efficient. So the MacBook wins for the weapon of choice when it comes to that particular task. And I think the watch obviously complicates that because there are going to be things that the watch can do that the, that the phone can do as well. And so it's a matter of, well, what's, what's the best way to do it? What's the fastest way to do it? And, and so for me, that's the filter that I try to look at things through of yes, like I own a lot of crap, but which 
is the best tool for the, for the given time and task. And I think if you can answer that well, every time, then you can sort of the, the bigger question, maybe at least for me fades away a little bit. Yeah. Likewise. Um, I'm noticing that the Apple is very opinionated about what they will put on the watch and what they don't. I mean, word has it. There's just, there's just no calculator app. And a lot of people's expectation would be, well, you know, we have calculator watches. Why not a calculator app on the watch? I mean, come on. I think that Apple's kind of aware, like they haven't actually made a public statement, but if I had to guess, it's sort of like, why isn't there an, a calculator on the iPad? Well, they just don't think that that's the most ideal scenario. And maybe, you know, there'll be some third-party developers that provide that app solution for us so that, you know, for people who want that use case on their iPad, there you go. They can get their calculators. It's not that Apple wants to constrain you or make it impossible for you to stretch the limits like we've seen with Federico using his iPad to the nth degree. I'm really impressed and I admire that. He's found what he wants to do with his work all done on an iPad. And that's really admirable of him. But there's also no shame either in using a wide variety of, of devices like you're describing, Stephen. I'm in the same boat where I want to use my MacBook for all of my graphic design. And if I had to, if I were still doing video editing like I was just a few years ago, I would be doing that with an iMac, uh, possibly one of the modern Mac Pros. But as long as I don't have a real reason to do any video editing work, I'm not going to reach out there and, and get a Mac Pro, okay, just using it to manage my email and check the internet. You know, I'm not going to do that on a Mac Pro. And I, and I get by very well with the iPad and the likes. Do you do much reading on the iPad, Stephen? Uh, I do for web stuff. I own a Kindle and we we're talking about becoming Steve Jobs. I read the whole book on, on my Kindle because for me, the eye strain is a big deal. And so the Kindle is really nice to read and it's not going off with Tweetbot notifications. You know, I do a ton of Instapaper reading on the iPad, do a ton of browsing on the iPad, especially if I'm if I'm gearing up for a big like historical article. So say that I'm going to write about the uh, Power Mac G5 line. Uh, you know, there's several different generations. One of them had liquid cooling, which is a terrible idea in hindsight. Uh, so for that sort of thing, the iPad's like my go-to because I have a bunch of tabs open. I can send it to Instapaper. I can, you know, read and, and sort of, you know, just absorb things on the iPad, maybe better than I can on my Mac because the Mac, for, according to my brain, is like work time. So, uh, yeah, definitely not long form stuff, but a lot of a lot of web content mm. comes to me through the iPad. Interesting. Well, I wanted to get to another one of the topics uh, related to MacBooks real quick and then jump over to another topic related to MacBooks. So real quick, is anyone here planning to get, to get another Mac this year? Possibly the new MacBook? Not the, the, the MacBook doesn't meet my needs. I would like one because I think it's beautiful. If, if I had an iMac and I, I worked from a sing, single office all the time, I maybe would do an iMac at a MacBook. But I, I am going to keep an eye on the uh, the 15 inch MacBook Pros if they get an update this summer. I might go to that. The 13 is a little tight doing Logic stuff, uh, which I do just on my laptop. Maybe a 15 inch later this year, but we'll we'll see how that goes. I'm good to go. I upgraded both my mobile and desktop last year, mm. so I've got a, a really snazzy Mac Mini for, uh, with a couple dual 27 inch displays, and uh, it's really nice. Mm. And then uh, just old 11 inch MacBook air for, uh, you know, mobile stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm good to go for several years. Hopefully I'm very happy with my late 2012 MacBook pro, uh, 15 inch. It was the first generation, I think with the retina display. 
and it's pretty thin. It's got all the ports I ever need. I don't use many of them. I get a lot of mileage out of the USB ports for everyday external drives and microphones, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. It's moving uh, really well as an SS drive based Mac. I can't really complain. It's got 16 uh, gigs of RAM. And as long as this is uh, burning rubber, I'm going to keep using it. I just don't see the need to, um, to replace the MacBook just yet, even though I do agree that new MacBook is super sexy. I really like what they're doing with haptic feedback. I'm fascinated with what they're doing with the butterfly key mechanisms. I tried one out. I think it was the day. Yeah, it was the day that I had the Apple Watch try on appointment, which was last Friday when episode two came out. So the MacBook, I, I, I think it's uh, interesting. A lot of people are not crazy about the, the touch experience on the keyboard because if you're a fast typist with lots of experience and your work is primarily on the keyboard, it's going to be jarring how it, there's very little movement between uh, you know having the key raised and pressing it all the way down. It, it, the travel distance is uh, less than it already is on the other chiclet keyboards. I think that more often than not, though, people are going to really like the feel of the keys because there's a little bit of pressure uh, resistance when you press on the keys and then you keep going and it releases the pressure and it goes down. So there is a um, sort of like a quality to it that's distinct and different from what we currently have with the scissor mechanisms that feels less mushy. And for that reason, I think it's attractive. I think very quickly people will acclimate to it. So when the MacBooks update with the butterfly mechanism, I'll be seriously attracted to those. Any other comment about the Macs? It's, uh, you know, it, leave it to Apple to to take something like a keyboard that we're all perfectly content with and then make us discontent. <laughs> Speak for yourselves. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I know some people don't don't care for it, but it's just it's just interesting how they do that. I don't care for it. Yeah. It, for me, I tried it out when that same as you when I was doing the watch thing and really don't care for it. And I, I wrote a little bit about it. I type, I'm a very hard typist. I, I typed on mechanical keyboards for years, had like this crazy elbow surgery and came back from that. I was like, Oh, I mechanical keyboards make my everything hurt. So ouch. Yeah, it was unpleasant. Uh, so I used the Bluetooth, you know, thin line Apple keyboard. And then obviously the keyboard on the MacBook pro. And I'm a, I'm a pretty hard typist. I'm sure I could adjust to it. I typed on it for about 20 minutes. It was the, the key travel was so shallow. I, I felt like I was just bottoming the keys out and like hurting the pads in my fingers. I'm sure I would adjust. You're not looking forward to the day when you have to. Yeah. 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 So like if that 15 inch MacBook pro comes out and it's that keyboard, I'm going to be torn a little bit of, of what to do there. But hmm. I, I think that keyboard will spread. I mean, Apple doesn't really, doesn't really care for having a bunch of discrete different things. So the, the MacBook, the original Intel MacBook had the, was the first chiclet style keyboard with a little space in between the keys uh, and the MacBook Pro took a couple of years to to get to that. They they swapped the keyboard on the MacBook Pro when it went unibody. Uh, so I think it I think it will come to the other Macs. I think it might be a little while, but eventually I think we're all going to be typing on uh, butterfly key mechanisms on yeah. what is it steel dome switches. I mean it's crazy. <laughs> it's pretty elaborate for keys. Yeah, they, they don't they don't go and make uh, make those cool marketing videos if they're not going to stick with their uh, <laughs> with their new invention. <laughs> The inside of those butterfly keys look like the X-Men door or something lit up. And you know, it looks like something out of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they've gone the whole nine yards. Doesn't uh, Johnny Ive care about making things beautiful on the inside and outside? I think they got carried away. All right. So, gentlemen, I, something that we wanted to talk about because it's sort of timely, like these MacBooks and like these Apple Watches, 
is uh, photo management, because uh, that seems to be what you're all about, Stephen, on your other show. I mean, you might as well be called <laughs> the Photo Management Weekly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it keeps, especially when we were on 5x5, it really came up because, you know, we were, that show happened when, like, Picture Life and uh, what were some of the others? Uh, most of them are out of business now. You're right. I remember I, I, I even signed up for a couple that y'all recommended at the time. The, and then, yeah, we, we recommended one that went out of business like three days later. It's like the curse of the prompt. Everpicks? Everpicks, yeah. Yeah, photo management, it's, you know, when you look at like consumer computer services or online services, I think photo management is the hardest one because it has to be perfect, right? Yeah. You trust the service and it nukes the pictures of your, of your baby. Not a great situation. To be in. <laughs> no. Right. Like not good to see Apple take it on is interesting. I have very mixed feelings on the photos app and especially the iCloud components, hmm. but I think they're doing a pretty good job of it. I, th- I think it will improve with time, hopefully. Did you ever make much in the way of like photo albums and photo boxes before, you know, before the days of iPhoto and the like, you know, family photo albums that go back to when you got married and things like that? I mean, I'm really the age where digital cameras were kind of around when I started caring about photography in high school. You know, they weren't good, right? Like we had one at the high school newspaper that shot onto three and a half inch discs, uh, which was just hysterical because you get like 12 pictures in and the disc would be full. You know, all of our wedding photos and everything for for my wife and I, at least, are are digital. And so we do have some photo albums. Obviously, I have historical stuff from when, you know, we were kids and my parents growing up that, you know, they've passed to me and uh, have even worked to digitize some of that stuff. So I have a little printed book of our wedding photos, but the vast majority of them are are, are just ones and zeros. Interesting. How about you, Joshua? I've been wanting to talk about this for some time. Yeah, you just updated to uh, to the new photos management, right? I did, and it was a. I did a lot of work on the on the on the front end that I haven't seen a whole lot of people writing about, and what what all the stuff that you'd need to do to really get it right. You know, I had multiple iPhoto libraries from two thousand six to, to present, and I, I think it was maybe about five different libraries because the problem was I had took so many pictures. The library got so large that the, you know, the Macs would just choke on it. iPhoto would just choke on it. So I, you know, I went the route of having these multiple libraries. And then when they announced this photos and uh, photos in the cloud and all of that, I was excited, but then I thought, well, how, how are they going to manage multiple libraries? And so I started to freak out mm. and I, I just searched and searched and, and there was nothing on the web that I could find on how how photos was going to handle uh, multiple libraries. So there was a, a third-party app, iPhoto Library Manager, I think it was called, $30. Ouch. So so that took a lot of work, a lot of work to, to take all of these, you know, this 80-gig library and mesh it with the 60-gig library. So I, I think it ended up being about 180 gigs the, the the final product and so all along the way I'm I'm backing up these libraries multiple disks and all this stuff like being really really anal about making sure we don't lose a thing because like like Stephen was saying or, or I was at least thinking earlier these photos are the most important things that we own I mean especially if you have a family and and lots of loved ones everything else can be replaced but these these are very very important these ones and zeros are. I just took a, a lot of effort to to make sure everything was backed up. Just took it one step at a time. Long story short, got it all combined into one library, converted it over to photos, and it is just about done uploading to the cloud. So wow, uh, t- time will tell. You know, as far as how 
how it will work in the cloud, but I certainly have multiple backups along the way. So I'm not too nervous. I guess I would recommend everyone multiple backups. You know, I might even look into taking my whole library and uploading it to like Flickr or something like that, that I won't probably use very often, but just to make sure it's, Hey, even in one more place. And, oh, and also another huge thing, you know, if, if you used iPhoto for years, you had a lot of albums, then you had lots of probably lots of folders mm. and then they invented events. Yep. And so the way that that man, that the way that they had imported in there is pretty ugly. Right. Yeah. So, so that's going to be a huge issue and there's no easy way to combine albums in photos that I could tell. Huh. Clean up your library as much as you can on the front end is the lesson I learned. Yeah, my my parents were very serious photographers back in the 80s and 90s. My dad slowly crept into the uh, video camcorder lifestyle, so making more home movies than anything else. And then mom put down the camera and never really picked it up again after we got into middle school. By the time we were teenagers, if anyone was taking pictures, it was primarily me and my older brother. And so I picked up a uh, original, I think it was a, one of the earlier Nikon 65s, um, had one of those to try and do some digital SLR uh, photos and photo books because I, I was doing some interesting things at the time that I wanted documented. But it was right at sort of the end of the life of printing your own photos from, from the photo lab and sifting through the bad ones in the old-fashioned way. I, I never liked it back then. It was just kind of messy. The idea that you had to go get photo books and organize them, uh, label things properly and keep track of them. And you had to ask yourself, did you have one copy or two copies? Did you want to have one at your parents' house and at your house so that if one should be damaged the other one is saved? It was never really pretty. I think that our mess today is just trading one batch of problems for, for another batch of problems. Well, it certainly has been a mess. I think <clears throat> I think the uh, Apple in the last few years, it's just been, especially with the photo stream and the mobile me and all of these things, it, it's not been an easy transition. But I think I think we're almost there. Could anyone have ex- anticipated though there would be the, such a booming interest in taking photos on all the devices all the time, every day, anywhere uh, of anything? Could anyone have anticipated this kind of growth for photography? Again, back in the 90s and even around the time that iPods were around, there was an iPod photo that came out pretty earlier on. I don't know that anybody really cared about the feature. It seemed very superfluous. No one was really going for digital photos just yet because we thought we were still relying on photo books. I'm I'm thinking maybe it's because people just weren't eating very interesting looking food back then. Not yet. (laughs) They didn't have anything to take a picture of. You're going to need to remember that that burrito. you know, in, in two years. That explains everything. Going through my 28, you know, thousand pictures, uh, lots of food pics. What was I doing? What was I thinking? Yeah. I want to, I want to talk more about photos again sometime because it's a huge topic. And I think that it's a high time that we try to find some better answers. I know that everybody's going to do what's right in their own eyes, but yeah, like you already mentioned, Joshua, you, you made several backups. I, I would like to know, like, how did you go about making your backups? That That's not an easy uh, problem to solve. The hardware and the software gets in our way of doing something that seems really important. We just don't clearly know what the answers should be. Right. You know, it, it really is because I had a couple of decades worth of tech nerd experience that I even knew how to handle and what should be done intuitively. You know, there are so many people that 
if they're just getting into computers in the last 10 years, they wouldn't understand how to do it. They wouldn't understand that they should do it. Mm. So yeah, it's just because of my background that, that I knew, you know, get a couple spare terabytes and <laughs> go to town on it like a geek. <laughs> Uh, Steven, did you have any more thoughts for the photos topic before I me? Mean, like we've only touched the tip of the iceberg, but what can we say? It's an enormous problem and an enormous need. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's the problem. And and I think where I run into stress with it is that where photos.app and your local images touch the iCloud stuff is a little hazy in places, a little, little fuzzy about what exactly it's doing or exactly where things live. And I would really like Apple to clarify that for yeah. people because. Well, it, it's been fuzzy for a decade now though. I mean, it's been, it's just been just as fuzzy in iPhoto, in my opinion, you know, it's hard to get into that library and not corrupt it and, and look for the old file folder structure. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's a whole, I mean, it's a whole other problem that it's a database and that can explode. But, but you know, if you use the iCloud photo library and, there's some settings in there that maybe don't make a lot of sense to sort of normal people. And uh, I don't know. I think, I think they have some room to, to clarify that, to make it a little more robust, to make it much harder to, to lose things. Cause right now you can get into a situation where, you know, your computer is doing something that you didn't expect. So I, I think they'll get there. I think that, you know, photos being in beta was good. Although I didn't really see any massive changes in the app or the service during the beta. It's not like they, suddenly changed all the controls of what gets synced. Right. So they seem pretty set in the way that it works. But I think as it as it becomes more popular, chances are it's a paid service because their their free storage tier is so low. So I imagine they're getting feedback from from customers. And I think <laughs> that future in future revisions will bring things back from iPhoto they dropped and, and maybe clarify some of that stuff. Right. The extra features uh, you know, are icing on the cake. You know, I just want it in one place. I want it safe. That's it. Exactly. Well Steven and Joshua. What do y'all think, guys? Does that wrap it up? Sounds good. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Good good show. Good discussion. So that makes episode three of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash three for the show's links and notes, or just look them up in your podcast app. If you want to connect with us, we are at Tectonic FM on Twitter and send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to help us out, uh, you know, give us a star rating on iTunes. And if you want to go the extra mile, just leave us a little bit of a review because it helps other people find the show on iTunes. Do we have a P.O. Box yet? You know, right, right <laughs> to Tectonic at P.O. Box 3. Nope, not yet. No? Okay, sorry to interrupt. One of these days. <laughs> Let me get my time machine. Well, thank you. This has been Joseph Darnell, Tectonic, Joshua Pfeiffer, Stephen Hackett. Thanks again, guys. And thank you all for listening. Oh, and we need an 800 number. (laughs) Shut up, Josh.